Well, for a few minutes, we're going to go back to the book of Acts, and uh, we are camped out in chapter 10, and it still may take us another, uh, another uh, week or so to get through it. Because we've looked at the narrative. We've looked at the part of chapter 10 of Acts and the first part of chapter 11 that talks about the situation of bringing the good news to the Gentiles and how Peter understood that this was a good thing to do and how Cornelius really was the initiator. Isn't that, It's kind of interesting. Cornelius was the initiator of it. And how God came to Cornelius, came to Peter, because this was such a major, uh, a major moment. And we unpacked that. We talked about the sheep. We talked about the animals. We talked about the meaning of it, um, and uh, and all of that. And how even the apostles back in Jerusalem understood it. And we talked about how this is such a turning point in the Book of Acts, because here in earnest, the gospel begins to go to the nations. The gospel begins to go to the nations. Uh, and something else that's just kind of interesting, you'll hear this in a, well, probably after the holidays, but it, it's kind of ironic that Peter is the one who, who does this. Because basically in Peter's life, he's an apostle to the Jews. Uh, you would think that Paul would have been this person, you, you know, uh, interacting with Cornelius. But he wasn't, and, and perhaps for the point of saying that, wow, you know, Peter of all people uh, is uh, the one uh, who interacts with uh, Cornelius and opens up this door wide open. Uh, and then what we end up seeing, actually, in the writing, what Luke is doing, is that after the middle of chapter 11, which is the end of this story, it really becomes the story of Paul. The, the rest of the book of Acts really becomes like a biography of Paul's journeys, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. So that's kind of what's going on. But what we want to focus on for the next few minutes, and then perhaps even next week, is uh, the actual message that Peter shares with Cornelius. And uh, uh, it, it really is, in a sense, the quintessential apostolic message. Uh, and, uh, and, and we could say the quintessential apostolic message to human beings, to people, not just to Israel, uh, you know, the Jerusalem Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, uh, as we saw earlier in uh, the book of Acts. But here it's a few verses. Uh, and probably it's a summary, probably because when you say it, it'll only take you about 90 seconds. So probably when Peter said it, he said a lot more. He didn't just speak for like two minutes, you, you, you know, uh, but Luke is summarizing what Peter has said. Okay, so it begins uh, in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Basically, it's 34 to 43. And, uh, and the, this, when you get down to it, after everything is said and done and Peter figures out it's okay to go to Cornelius' house and Cornelius, is, Cornelius welcomes him and they have their greetings and everything else, this is why Peter came, this message. So the first thing that it says 
it says, and opening his mouth. Now that's interesting. Now, uh, I don't have time to uh, look at all the places where it says that, uh, but it is uh, a rather interesting. You can look, there's probably a cross-reference in your Bible with it, opening his mouth. It meant that he was going to say something really important, and, the, and it's said in a few different places. So uh, Luke is like, uh, it's, it's like drum roll, the drum roll to what Peter is going to say, you know? So opening his mouth. Peter said, you know, uh, and, and you notice in my, in my Bible, what we have is uh, after it says, in opening his mouth, Peter said, there's a colon, and then it's like, uh, and then it's indented after that uh, with a, uh, with a um, bold, darkened I, letter I. So it's really pointing out that this is like the message. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. You know, that is one of the most profound, succinct statements in the entire New Covenant scriptures. To us, though, it's like old hat, right? It's sort of like preaching to the choir. I've heard this a million times. But you really have to go back in the Wayback Machine, you know, back to the first century there, and, uh, uh, and really put yourself in Peter's shoes. I, I mean, this was huge. Especially, it's almost like a confession. You, you know, the way he says it, I most certainly understand that. In other words, I did not understand this. But now I certainly, certainly understand now, Cornelius. I understand that there is no partiality with God. Now, it is interesting. Uh, first, let me say this, uh, this issue uh, of partiality. You know, God uh, has never been partial. It's not like in the Tanakh, God was partial. Or in the Torah, God was partial, but now he's not. And so now Peter understood a new thing. No, no. You read the text of the Torah carefully. The only thing that God was partial to is righteousness. Okay? Uh, and when he talks about the like the Canaanites and the Philistines. It's people who are who are coming against God, whether via pagan worship or coming against Israel and so on. But you read in last week's Torah portion and again in this week's Torah portion about the the ger, the alien, the sojourner with Israel. Now, what a ger was was someone who was uh, not Jewish and not a proselyte, but dwelling among Israel. In other words, not, not a threat, not, not, not someone uh, infiltrating, not someone bringing in false gods, just someone who was not of Israel. You know, and they were welcomed. Okay? Uh, you could eat with them. All right? Uh, and then, of course, you have the anecdotal fantastic stories, especially of Rahab, 
Rahab is very important in this. Uh, Ruth also, but Ruth uh, makes this great statement, your God is my God, and so on. Although she is referred to as a Moabitess throughout the entire book of Ruth. She's not referred to as an Israelite. She's referred to as a Moabitess the whole time. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and, of course, Rahab, the Canaanite. Uh, so quite clearly... Uh, God is not partial. He called Israel out for a purpose of being his conduit of grace and mercy to the nations. You could say God loved the nations so much that he called out Israel. For God so loved the world that he called Abraham and his descendants to be the conduit of, uh, of blessing, of mercy to the nations. It's so important that we, you know, that we understand that we understand that, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, but unfortunately, we know we know what happened. Some of it is in the earlier prophets, uh, you know, before the Babylonian captivity, and some in uh, we read about after the Babylonian captivity. That there was a sense that God would never judge us because we're the chosen people. It's like the seventh chapter of Jeremiah. Right. When Jeremiah says, you keep saying the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple is not going to save you people because you are not, uh, you know, you are not uh, living obediently to God. Don't think. And what did and what did um, uh, uh, John say? John the Immerser say God can raise up people from these stones. You know, don't think that just because. Uh, you are a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you're automatically right before God. Very important. Yeshua also brings this up, but, I'm, but the point is, is that in the Tanakh uh, and in the earliest parts of the Brit Hadashah, even before Yeshua uh, uh, begins his ministry, uh, th there is no partiality with God. Do you know, the problem became then in the Second Temple period that... Um, not only uh, was there sort of a uh, entitlement, a sense of entitlement, which is always wrong, by the way, <laughs> okay, amongst anybody, uh, but there was a sense, uh, a sense of entitlement, not just that we're the chosen people, but that even within the chosen people, that, uh, uh, you know, some are better than others. In fact, to this day, to this day, if you were to have a relative, for example, who's a Haredi Jew, uh, an ultra-Orthodox uh, Jew, right? If you had a relative, they would not eat at your house. <laughs> they would not eat your house. doesn't matter that you're Jewish, right? Uh, but you don't, you don't rise to the level, uh, you, you know, uh, of uh, practice. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, it reminded me, actually, just I just jotted this down during one of the songs that uh, Chris was singing. Great job today, Chris. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 31, when you read about the new covenant, one of the things that it says about the new covenant uh, is that um, in verse 34, it says, and they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. And then it says, from the least of them to the greatest of them. 
There no uh, one-upsmanship. One, no one, uh, I'm better than you. Uh, even within Israel or Israel and, and, and the nation. So wherever you want to make that, that application. Uh, very, very important. And you know, it's interesting because this issue of no partiality uh, is uh, among Israel, uh, is, is written in the Torah, right? In fact, I believe right there, speaking of Leviticus 19.18, if you go back to uh, Leviticus 19.15, uh, you, shall, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly, right? No partiality with God. And then there's a bunch of other places, by the way, in the, in the Tanakh. I'll just mention some of them. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, 2 Chronicles 19, 7, uh, Malachi uh, 2, 9. Uh, that, that's a great one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that one. Uh, you'll, you'll have to indulge me here, right? In Malachi, uh, um, we read uh, this. See, there we go. You know, Malachi is easy to find. If you go to the Z's, you get Zechariah. Uh, and uh, you get uh, Malachi right at the end, right? Right at the very end in the Bibles that most of us have anyway. Uh, of the uh, Tanakh, and so in chapter two, at the very end of the uh, uh, at the very end of the uh, uh, chapter, I think it's there. Yeah, I, I he's uh, chastening the them, and he says, um, "But as for you, in verses eight and nine, not at the end, in chapter two, verses eight and nine of Malachi, it says." But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. No partiality. Uh, and, and so it's quite clear, right? Uh, and uh, And so... God makes no uh, distinction uh, uh, in how he reacts to people. So all have the same potential access uh, uh, to, uh, to God. And of course, we see it in the, in the New Covenant, in the book of Romans, in chapter 3 and verse 29, where Paul says that about Jews and Gentiles. You can, you can uh, read that. But now Peter understands it. You know, and how does he understand it? He understands it because of that vision, the vision of the uh, animals and the presence of the, uh, the, uh, the Ruach and, and the testimony of Cornelius. Uh, he understands it. And uh, so we need to understand it also, that uh, as human beings, we have a tendency to see ourselves, whatever group we're part of, as better than any other group. Maybe we, we would never say it. You know, we don't articulate it by our actions and oftentimes by our words, though. Uh, we do. And so he goes on to say here, but in every nation, 
The man who fears him and who does what is right is welcome to him. Fearing God and doing the right thing. Now, he's not saying that uh, Cornelius has, by doing the right thing, he is, um, you know, he has eternal life or his sins are forgiven. No, he, what he's saying is, is that in order for uh, Yeshua to be able to be, to be uh, embraced, there has to be a level of, uh, of turning to him. There has to be a level of fearing God and, and having a desire for, for righteousness. What we try to do is we try to make it a linear timeline of these things. Well, which comes first? We do, no, in one way, shape, or form, when you embrace Yeshua, there is a sense of repent. There is repentance, and there is an awe of God. Otherwise, you would not embrace Yeshua, <laughs> okay? Uh, or it certainly uh, uh, wouldn't be real. It's not just a assent to a particular statement uh, in a doctrinal statement, uh, but there is a wholeheartedness. Uh, uh, to it. And that's what he's uh, describing. Right? So Peter uh, says, I certainly understand that, that God does not show any kind of partiality. We may have different identities, different callings, no doubt, you know, but uh, there is no partiality with God. Okay? I hope we all understand that. that that's a, a really important thing. And I think sometimes, especially approaching Rosh Hashanah uh, and Yom Kippur, it's really a good time to say, do I, do I show partiality in my heart? Just in the way that I think about people. You know, I don't, I don't use, uh, I don't call people names. and Don't do those kinds of things. But do I, do I understand what Peter understood? You know, how uh, important it is. Would we go to Cornelius's house if we have been raised in an environment where it is forbidden, where it is wrong, where it is, uh, we don't go there. They're not our people. Uh, you know, we don't have anything to do with them. They're lesser than us. They're unclean. Would we... Uh, the you know have the uh, the conviction that Peter had. Let let us never underestimate what it took for people for Peter to understand this. And hopefully, the ruach dwelling within us convicts us of perhaps lifelong attitudes that we have had underlying under the surface attitudes that we have had toward individuals or people groups. All right. I, all right. And, and by the way, it also says is welcome to him, not tolerated by him, not uh, well, I guess, but welcome, welcome, right? And we know that, uh, you know, we're supposed to demonstrate the Yeshua life, right? And so we need to be welcoming, by all, although maintaining our identity, who we are but be welcoming, right? You know, uh, some of you are familiar with the book, The Spirituality of Welcoming. Isn't that a great title? You ever think that welcoming would be something that it, this a whole book, uh, the spirituality of welcoming, it really is a very important. 
You know, so we have to ask ourselves, do we make people feel welcome? You know, and you know who you, you know you who you have to ask to know if that's really happening is people who are the other who come. Not ask ourselves that. Because we'd all say, well, of course we're welcoming. We're the most welcoming congregation that there is. Or I'm the most welcoming person that there is. No, no, of course, of course, you know, but but you have to you have to ask people that that come that are not people that that uh, we would say are uh, Jewish believers or people uh, that normally might come to a messianic congregation. Hmm, good question, right? So uh, there we go. So then he says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, uh, preaching peace through Messiah Yeshua. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know uh, the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee. So I can tell already we're not going to get very far here. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about one more thing. There's one more little thing here. And we're probably not even going to get through all of that. And that is when he says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Messiah Yeshua. He's Lord of all. And the way it's, the reason it's in parentheses is, is to make the point that in Greek, it's like interjected, he's the Lord of all, you know? That's, that's uh, the, the, the Lord of Jew and Gentile, the Lord of the centurions. What a statement to make, you know, because we know the real Lord of the centurion needed to be Caesar, right? But the Lord of the centurion, the Lord of every uh, uh, human being. But he says here, the words, uh, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Messiah Yeshua. In other words, the apostolic message, the word that he gave to us to, to preach, peace through Messiah Yeshua. Not just uh, Yeshua taught peace, you know, uh, but peace through uh, Messiah uh, Yeshua. Okay, this whole issue of preaching peace. <laughs> Is, uh, is, is huge. First of all, uh, you know, the word. And uh, if any of you uh, uh, have ever attended uh, probably a class or had an, a, an extended conversation with Henry uh, Goulet, he's done a, an outstanding job on understanding shalom, wholeness, completeness, well-being, satisfaction, uh, 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 fulfillment, I, you know, uh, let me just uh, read to you from the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament. Okay, that's the name of a, of a, of a volume. Uh, among other things, I, it says um, here, a shalom is a comprehensive expression denoting all that the people of the ancient Near East wished for as the abundance of blessings. It is a state of being unimpaired and unthreatened of ease and security, of felicity and of wholeness in the broadest sense. Uh, for the present, we may conclude that shalom is a profoundly positive concept associated with the notions of intactness, wholeness, well-being of the world and of humanity. It must be satisfied and restored when it is compromised or violated. Right. Uh, and um, it goes on and on. 
So, you know, think of those words, uh, completeness, whole, well-being. Uh, you know, usually, uh, I, I remember years ago uh, teaching this, that when we say shalom, you know, it's like a greeting, right? Hello, goodbye, right? Uh, and peace. Uh, and I remember uh, one time giving a message to say, peace is not truce. It's not the same thing as simply not fighting. That's not shalom. Shalom is when there is a unity. Shalom is when there is an understanding. Shalom is when there is wholeness of relationship. You know? Uh, and there is an inward aspect of it and an outward uh, aspect of it. Uh, but it is certainly promised in the Tanakh. You know, in Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with shalom. In Psalm 85, uh, in verses 8, 9, and 10, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak shalom to his people, to his godly ones. Uh, and then, you know, later on, it says, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Uh, that's a great, uh, that's a great statement. That's in Psalm 85 and verse 10, right? Uh, speaking of wisdom in Proverbs 3:17, her ways are pleasant ways, and all of her paths are peace, shalom, wholeness. When you walk in the wisdom of God, you walk in wholeness, intactness, uh, completeness, in, in satisfaction, in meaning, in significance. I uh, all the things that people yearn for. The things that people yearn for and end up taking placebos in order to try to get the, that elusive thing that, that people desire but do not have that cause great frustration and causes people to act in sinfulness. This is what God promises. It is like a primary part of the good news right? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. I'm going to suggest that in Isaiah 52, 7, good news, peace, and salvation are three ways of saying the same thing. The deliverance, good news, and shalom. When you're delivered, you have shalom. And I, I, you know, and then we read about Yeshua. We read about the Messiah in Zechariah chapter 9. In verses 9 and 10, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak shalom to the nations. He, that's Yeshua, the one riding on the donkey, the one who is king. He will speak shalom to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. That is our message. That is what God calls uh, calls us to this message of of peace, and in Yeshua it is the it is peace with God and the peace of God. 
You know, in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, trusting in the Lord, right? We have shalom with God through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Okay? And then it says, through whom we have obtained our entree. It's the best word. That, that French word is, is, in my translation, is introduction. But it's like entree. We have the credentials to stand in this grace. Right? We have peace with God. We may not realize it, but the lack of peace that we have, that people have in this world, is that means being alienated, alienated from God, which means being alienated from myself and other people and alienated from this world. But in Yeshua, we have the connection, peace with God, and that connects us. In other words, the vertical connection connects us horizontally, you know, uh, uh, to others. And so we read there about the peace of God. But then in the book of uh, Philippians, what do we read in the fourth uh, uh, chapter? Uh, we, read, uh, uh, we read here in verse 9. I'll just read verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God shall be with you. Peace with God and the peace of God. And what did Yeshua say in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16? Yeshua said, I leave my peace with you. And so in Yeshua, a supernatural thing takes place. A metaphysical thing takes place. And that is uh, we have peace with God. And so the peace uh, that we have with God translates. And this is in a way what Peter was getting at. The peace that we have with God translates into our horizontal relationships with other people. In other words, when we really embrace the idea that we have peace with God, and that peace with God is part of who we are, there will be no partiality, there will be no enmity. Because what do we read in, Philipp in Ephesians chapter 2? He is our peace. He didn't just teach about it, preach about it, motivate us to do it or tell us how to get it. He is, that's why he is the message. He, doesn't just, he didn't just preach a message. Yeshua becomes the message. He is the centerpiece. He's not just an agent of God. He's not just the teacher. He is the object. He is the Lord of all. You see, and that makes the, this message so relevant uh, in, our, uh, in our world, okay? Well, we're just going to stop there, uh, and uh, I'll just say, isn't it amazing that that's the first thing he says, and really verses 34, 35, uh, and 36 is, you know, I now understand that uh, anybody can avail themselves of God. Uh, and I can go to anybody. I'm here in your house, Cornelius. And the message is a message of peace. The message is, is a message of reconciliation. It is a message, yes, of embracing Yeshua, but it turns into a real life uh, peace among people.
and, uh, and uh, what a great word for us. And so may we remember that, that we, that we are not, first of all, I'll say this, we are not better than anybody else. We are, uh, you know, as Messiah followers, we're not better than anybody else. As uh, Messianic Jews, we're not better than, than anybody else. As a Messianic Jewish community, we're not better than anybody else. Right? But we are called with a message of peace to demonstrate that truth to the nations. And you do that one by one, you know, and quite clearly, that is the message that this world needs. And that is the message that Peter brings Cornelius. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for this great message of peace, of shalom. May it be true in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own personal relationships. And may we stay above the fray in our own culture, in our own world. And may we not just drink the Kool-Aid of our culture and just become like everybody else. But may we really have the cool water for parched throats. May we really bring a message of salvation, of deliverance to this culture and this world in the shalom of God. And how blessed are the feet of those who bring good news of peace. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Amen. And hey, by the way, always a, there's always a little bit more. You know, in verse 36, when it says, in the translation I'm using, it says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace. In, in, the, in the Greek uh, New Covenant, there's a word missing in the English translation. It's actually a word missing, preaching the good news of peace. And in my, in maybe in your translation, it's actually written there, but it's good news of peace. So anyway, we'll, we'll uh, talk more about that next week. And what a great word as we approach the high holy day.